Hello and welcome to the Tribcast. This is State District Judge Ryan Patrick. People say I sound just like my dad, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Well, maybe this is Dan Patrick. Either way, here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the final week of January. I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief and CEO Evan Smith. What up, Poncho? Editor Emily Ramshaw. Hi, Reeve. Reporter Terry Langford. Hi, you sound pretty excited to be here, Terry. I'm just oh so God. excited. Uh, you've been very busy today. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm every day. It's, yeah. it's yeah. nice of you to join us Good thing here. to say in front of your editor. Yeah. Uh, you've been covering the latest on the uh, governor, former governor. Former. Rick former. It's hard to think about him in that I way. I know. I keep forgetting that? to say former. I have to. Pri- for life. Private citizen. Right. That is correct. So Private presidential Homeless. Candidate. Is he homeless? Where's no, he living now? He has a he got a condo <laughs> yeah. in downtown Austin. Pretty sure I saw him on a street corner. Where is it? Is, is, is near Todd? Where's his condo? Uh, it is Todd's condo. It's an Airbnb. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. The Perrys are living in an Airbnb mm, downtown Austin. Awesome. Yeah, he's saving all his money a, for Tony Busby. And now they've got a little ballroom over at the Omni for press conferences and the right. Lone Star Room. Yes. Exactly. We've thrown out enough non-facts for one Tribcast. So from now on out, let's try to... How is this different from any other Tribcast? Tribcast? Right. It's the Passover of Tribcasts. Exactly. So is, is Perry, he's not governor anymore, but is he still indicted? Yes or no? Terry, update us. He is. He is indicted. Yes, he is. But And the case is moving forward. Uh, judge ruled yesterday that the case moves forward. Although there were a couple of nice clues in the ruling that came down um, that the judge would consider some challenges to the way the indictment was written. So is the judge saying in his ruling, hey, Rick Perry, here are the ways you can get out of this? It's a very or, casual or, ruling. Hey. Well, I'm reading between the lines. <laughs> is, the, is the judge saying, What hey. up, Perry? Yeah. Or is the judge saying, hey, prosecutors, there's some problems with your arguments. Why don't you fix them? It's kind of a little bit of both. What he, what he See, said. See, I got that just right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Hey. On. Hey. Um, this isn't he, a legal case. It's an episode of What's Happening. What is this? So what he's saying is, uh, hey, defense team, it, what you should have done is you should have filed a motion to quash on this issue, and I would have considered it, and maybe I would have done X. But it's not a no backsies ruling in the sense that they can now go back. It wasn't like, well, you had one chance to do it and you no, didn't do it. No, it's not. It, it's basically a big, you know, he's telegraphing to them. Hello. Do this next time. Do this next do time. Do this. And as Busby said today, he is going to do that in the next 48 hours. As Busby. Who's Busby? Busby's. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tony Busby, who's chief. Uh, he's the lead uh, defense lawyer for Rick Barry right now. And, and a Texas A&M regent. And also he wears really brightly colored suits, as we learned today. Mm-hmm. Much and, like and, we're and all wearing right now. Locks colored ties. It was actually he, – he cut, he cut you quite know, the delicious. Everything for you is in Jewish culinary references. It could also be salmon <laughs> – She's an anti-Semite. I now finally, after five and a half years, discover that's your problem. Uh, Is that why I married one? Yes. It's your self-hating-ish. I thought that Busby – I thought that – but this is – Terry, let me explain to you. This is not actually a substantive podcast. (laughs) Busby and Botsford today – Botsford is the other lawyer – were – 
reasonably confident about the chance sure, of getting yes, this thing kicked, but they were but they were reasonably confident before about the chance. Of getting that is this exactly kicked. right. And um, so, do we take their confidence today as anything more than the confidence last time? I. I, I I stopped trying to predict what courts do a long time ago. But w- one thing that's become clear is the judge said there's no way, there's nothing in Texas law that says I can attack or I can even take up the constitutionality arguments of these indictments, which was the main argument, um, before it goes to trial. Those are issues you take uh, up after the trial starts, not before. And most legal uh, folks have said we kind of expected that to go against Perry, you know, the constitutionality argument. Now, they're going to appeal that part of the decision, but they're going to come back and say, OK, what the judge said about it being vague on count one, which is the abuse of power count, he said, and they're going to come back and say, OK, we're going to ask for that to be amended or rewritten or whatever. Now, if it goes down, I guess the question is, um, does that go into the favor of the prosecutors who might have uh, a lower burden of proof to prove? Um, I don't know. Is the timing of this such that with the appeal of this ruling or the next round of this that the Perry lawyers put in, this could be resolved if it was resolved in Perry's favor by April, May? What, what, what do you think the next, uh, well, the next big news in this case can be? Well, the next big news will be what Perry – first of all, what Judge Burt Richardson says um, on the defense team's do-over. You know, they're going to come back and ask the same thing but a different way. They're not going to ask about the constitutionality. They're going to ask about the vagueness of the way the indictment was written, and they're going to contest that part of it. What the judge can do, he can consider it. He could – I believe he could dismiss it. He could also just ask the prosecutor to rewrite it. So that's where we are there. But the bigger part on the uh, constitutionality of the indictment itself, that's going before the third court of appeals, and they're asking for an expedited but run Botsford at that. said expedited. Right. And they're very helpful within 30 to 60 days. They said 30, 45, 60 days. We know courts are Right. So, of course, the political, the political consequences of this, legal reasoning and, right. and prospects notwithstanding, the political consequences of this are greater with each passing day. Right. The yeah. longer he's an well, indicted he's, potential I mean, candidate, Perry it's wants a to be out on the road, spending all of his energy, you know, luring voters in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina. You know, he was in South Carolina as recently as last night. Um, you know, so I think the quicker this gets resolved for him, the better. But and that sounds like it's been going well for him, right? In Iowa, he was well received, much much better received than yeah. Palin, at least. He was quite well received in Iowa, and there were a lot of media talking about how you know he was throwing around you know really obscure facts. He almost seemed to be sort of saying, telegraphing, hey, look how prepared I am, you know. So he got a pretty good reception. He was raising money in South Carolina last night, um, and then he had to come back and deal with this. But do any of those people, do they really care if he's indicted or not? Well, that's the question. Ross, who is not here to defend himself, so let me feel free to characterize his position for him, (laughs) believes that the indictment is toilet paper stuck to Perry's shoe politically. It's going to trail him around every place, and that every place he goes, they're going to have to mention in the news accounts or people will be thinking when they see him talk, well, this guy's indicted and uh, and the donors, Ross always talks about the donor primary, donors are going to be hesitant to give money to a guy who ultimately may not be able to make this race because he's caught up in legal stuff. But the question I would have was, this thing is so complicated. Most of the public right. don't, un- they do not understand that. The- that's A, the public's capacity to understand this stuff is pretty low. And B, honestly... He's running against commies and pinkos in Travis County, which is 
catnip in a Republican oh, primary. And I alleged, believed all alleged, allegedly. I, I believe all along. I believed all along that running against not Hillary Clinton over his over one shoulder, looking ahead, or the other shoulder, but Barack Obama, but running against Rosemary Lindbergh mitigated a lot of the consequences of this. Because if he gets to say, as he did again today. I was in the right, and these I'll do it again. These mm-hmm. liberals, uh, Pinko, Travis County people are trying to uh, bring me down, but we're not going to let that happen. I think he gets sympathy, yeah, support, for, and enthusiasm for now. For now, but I mean, you know, if you think about th- this playing itself out, it's it's easy to do this right now. But you know, months from now, a year from now, if this is still dragging along behind him, it's going to be a different story, I think. And you know, you noticed all of the other possible presidential hopefuls yesterday jumping on Twitter and Facebook immediately to say, "I stand with Rick, Rick. Perry in the case of his indictment and his prosecution." And did I mention his ha- indictment? Is again? that how you say hashtags? That's, yeah, right. Exactly. The indictment. I, say them louder. Right. Yeah. I mean, but it was obvious that these folks are, you know, nobody is going to pass up an opportunity to throw those words around. I think it'll be interesting, too, that if uh, the judge had hinted about one of the, the counts that he read it as a misdemeanor and not um, a felony. So if this let's just say both of them got knocked down to a misdemeanor, does it take the sting out of, you know, this sort of big indictment? It kind of goes down yes. to little you know, little eye indictment. I mean, I'm actually, I'm curious about that. So what exactly is, which charge could be a misdemeanor? Number two. Right? Number, number two. two. And, and number two is the uh, coercion of a public servant, mm-hmm. because that's the way Richardson says he read it, mm-hmm. um, the way it was written. Right. So the, but he said coercion is not a felony. It's a misdemeanor, right? Oh, and this, Wasn't there some said, question about that? He, yeah, th- that's what we're talking about. Yeah, no, no, no. My, my point is, I want to understand what Terry's saying. That is the issue that we're talking about. It is the issue, the coercion. but the, right, the coercion and the way it was written and got me without my notes right now. But um, the way it was written, he read that it wasn't a complete charge mm-hmm. and yeah. it didn't it didn't include what was the felony. And so therefore, he saw this more as a misdemeanor. So which lawyers do you think are kicking themselves more? Perry's defense lawyers for not bringing the uh, correct challenge, according to the judge, or the prosecutors for apparently writing both counts in a way that did not satisfy the judge, really. I bet Perry's lawyers are doing, you know, cartwheels. Well, they're doing cartwheels, but... Well, everyone sort of covered this as like a big blow for Perry, but the way you're describing it does not sound like that's the case. It it gives them some wiggle room. It gives them significant, I think, legal wiggle room at this point in time. I think it also... You know, I, I'm not a lawyer, but a lot of people you have... play one on the Tribcast. Yeah, I do play one on the Tribcast, <laughs> but the... Um, a lot of people have talked about sort of the selection of that legal team. You know, we have uh, Tony Busby, who is a plaintiff's lawyer, and and a lot of people have questioned why it wasn't a you know a big criminal defense attorney. And um, is the showmanship that you see in sort of a plaintiff's courtroom going to work or translate into kind of a cut and dry criminal courtroom, or or not? I mean, and so this sort of judge telling him, hey, if you had done it this way, you might have stood a better shot. You m- yeah. It's kind of a it's kind of a slap down in a way. I mean, that's the way I read but it. In the end, if Perry ends up being acquitted or not even acquitted, but if the case gets kicked, if it never actually goes to trial, no one will remember the tactics right. that the Perry exactly. lawyers right. use or didn't use. They're going right. to declare victory and that's right. it. Well, can we pivot on Busby and talk about uh, the gubernatorial 
regental appointments, since Busby is one, as I mentioned earlier. That's really an awful mm. word. You're not using it incorrectly, of course, but I wish there was another way what, to talk regental? about it. Regental? Oh, I it's thought appointment It's really gentle. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. What, what do you not like about it? It just, it just sounds like a word that nobody would use, regental. Okay. Well, you, we just used it like seven times like in the last minute. Reeve, tell us, word found in nature. tell us about like what it. the heck happened with the Re- regents. Oh, appointments. Well, better, actually, much better. The appointed well, it's a different. I mean, that's a, whatever. Um, so Abbott put out uh, his appointees for the Texas A&M, uh, University of Texas and Texas Tech system uh, board last week, I think. That's right. Right, right after he was inaugurated. Right, so like a couple – right. Yeah. Uh, which is early. I mean, the the slots that he's filling don't come up until February 1st. So he was getting out there pretty early being like, hey, I want you guys to move on these. And uh, he really took the opportunity in his appointees to the University of Texas board to really uh, make a difference, show some significant daylight between him and his predecessor. Uh, he basically appointed, you know, Perry had appointed these regents that over the last few years have really gone after the University of Texas at Austin, and that's been a big thing. We've talked about it here on the podcast. Abbott took the opportunity to appoint three UT Austin alumni who have been s- strong friends of the University of Texas at Austin and are expected to continue to defend it. One of them, Steve Hicks, he was reappointed to the board, uh, and he has been one of the most vocal members uh, opposing the actions of regents like Wallace Hall. Didn't and, he, in fact, use the phrase, maybe not first, I think Pitts used it first, but didn't Hicks use the phrase witch hunt? Yes. At one point? Yeah. And Hicks was a Perry appointee. Right. He was, he was one of the Perry appointees who was more favorable to the, inter- or, you know, more of a protector of the university. Right. He was Texas. a Perry appointee from sort of a different era of Perry right. appointees right. at the, the UT board. Pre seven solutions. Yeah. yeah. So he'll era. be sticking around. Um, you know, there's a lot of chatter well, out there. Confirmed, you know, Look, there's I no mean, right. nominations committee chaired by Brian Birdwell, mm-hmm. uh, as appointed by Dan Patrick, has to hear these nominations. And I asked Patrick yesterday if he intended to fast track them or if he would t- t- act quickly on them because they're not the only nominations Abbott has this made. Is, He's got, you have right. a, an insurance commissioner who needs to be a. This is uh, or, Dan Patrick Ryan's dad. Ryan, right, the intro's dead. Right. Uh, and he said, look, we're going to consider them in, in our, by our, at our own pace. We're not going to you know, move necessarily any quicker on these than we otherwise would. And it's not unprecedented. I mean, typically they move fairly quick on them and just sort of knock them out, I think. But it's not unprecedented to hold up right. nominate, nominations but to make is, a point. They did that last right. session when they didn't want to appoint the UT regents. But regardless of what happens there, I mean, this is a very loud noise from Abbott that, you know, this uh, to me, it's him saying, this is where I come down on this issue. You know, I'm sick of the drama. I'm sick of the back and forth. And all of you guys who, you know, want to keep going yeah. after the University of Texas at Austin, you know, to me, it's him saying, I don't think there's a there there. There are a lot of statements he could have made with these appointments. He, he, OK, peace. He didn't appoint Tim Dunn to the regents. He mm-hmm. didn't want he didn't make that kind of statement. But there are a lot of places along the continuum where he could have made appointments that would not have been perceived mm-hmm. as these have been perceived. What happened after these appointments were made? Immediately, Michael Sullivan Power and Texans and the associated groups on the, various on, on the internet start attacking Abbott uh, for having appointed in Steve Hicks, somebody who they perceive to be a Bill Powers lackey. Sarah Martinez Tucker is for Common Core, they say, and committed the unpardonable sin of having worked in George W. Bush's education department. And David Beck was a campaign contributor to, among others, Trey Martinez Fisher, Kirk Watts, and other Democrats. Now, he gave more money over time to Republicans and Democrats. 
But it turns out that he was associated with the Law School Foundation, is that right, at UT? Yeah. And, which, is, which has would, been yeah. uh, sort of a subject of scrutiny from and a th- the and current And a thorn in the board. side of the Perry higher ed critics. I mean, an right? investigation, right? Right. Yeah, and, they've investigated it And David times. Beck's firm, Beck Redden, is the law firm retained by the Texas Ethics Commission to represent them in the lawsuit against Michael Sullivan. I mean, well, and, and Beck is one of the founding members of the Coalition for Excellence in Higher Education, which right. is a group that was formed explicitly to sort of Defend push back UT. against right. Perry's efforts. So there were one, there one or two ways to look at this. The Abbott people went out and found people who they thought were qualified reasons and did not contemplate or consider that these people would cause a, a shitstorm no on way. the right, yeah. or he knew exactly that yeah. the shitstorm was coming. I think we've talked a lot about how um, Abbott is a very judicious well uh, person. You know, he thinks a lot about his how what actions he takes. So, what do you take this to mean then? I mean, I, I, if he was I think, willing, if he was I think Emily to, said it, it's not unclear. Yeah, it's so he so, so he's yeah. pushing back in a big way. He's also said he's he's made it folks. clear that he wants to focus on elevating. Yeah. Texas universities and getting more tier one universities. That's been a big talking point for him. Right. So part of that is like calming everything down at UT Austin and getting the board back on a page that he right. thinks is more productive. Now, you know, it doesn't mean that all the drama at UT Austin is over for people that like that. I know you like that. The, uh, well, you don't mind it all that much yourself, Junior. The, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, we're, expecting, we're expecting, you know, the, they're investigating the admissions practices at UT Austin right now. The board is. And we're expecting that report to come out in the next... I guess it's about it's about magnitude. It's one thing to say we don't want drama. It's another thing to drag Lawrence Olivier off stage and beat the crap out of him. I mean, and really what he did in this case was go well beyond simply making appointments that were no drama appointments. If you believe people on the right who are so uh, uh, upset about this. Well, and when we say no drama, he basically chose you could have no drama by going mostly the one way or the other. He went fully one way saying shut this down, basically. He's a UT alum, right? Yes. And, you and know, went to Vanderbilt uh, Law School. Undergraduate right. uh, alum. And his Correct. chief of staff, you know, Daniel Hodge is an alum of the law school. You know, I don't know. I mean, th- this may be. Wallace Hall is a UT alum, though. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. being a UT alum does not necessarily well, put you on one some, side yeah. of the fence. There was some the concern or criticism, I recall, being leveled by the side critical of UT Austin at the suggestion that the Attorney General's office was going to be involved in investigating one or another of these scandals, whether it was the. Law School Foundation of the Admissions Scandal. They invested the Law School Foundation. Because it was said by one of these critics to me, I forget when, that everybody in the AG's office bleeds orange and that mm-hmm. the idea of somehow the AG's office mm-hmm. doing an independent investigation right. of UT is ridiculous for exactly the reasons that's a, you said. Mm-hmm. Right? That's an indictment of uh, the TCEQ, I think. What? Their toxic blood that you're referring to. The, uh, think about that one for a yeah. while. <laughs> Poncho. Um, no, it's very clear what the message was. And it's I think it's the first time that we've really seen like very, very clear. Yeah, an opinion from Abbott. <laughs> like, well, I disagree with the way Perry was doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and look, I, I tried to get Patrick yesterday to come out and say I'm OK with the appointments or I'm not OK with the appointments. And he professed to have no idea of the controversy over the nominees, which I found a little bit hard to believe. But there it is. Uh, well, it's a, it's a controversy mostly in his uh, – his sphere, so you would expect him to know. Well, these the people who are most critical of Abbott's appointments are the people who are his most base supportive, yeah, supporters. These are the people who are Team Patrick. Meanwhile, he's had a lot of action going on in the Senate in the last week or so. Um, personally, I mean, when you talk to him, uh, he's, he said that open carry, the votes are not there, and he's gotten a lot of flack for that. Well, he, he has. He did not say, I oppose open carry as far as it goes. But he said a couple things that have given people who support open carry cause to be concerned. He said, I don't think the votes are there, which may or may not prove to be true. He said, I personally would not open carry 
which again is not saying I don't support the right of others to open carry, but he he's not right. positioning himself as somebody who is an enthusiast. I wouldn't drink Diet Coke, but I think but it's you're, okay but you're for okay you with to. other people drinking yeah. Diet Coke. You know, I I think that it's the same thing. I think that the open carry folks were surprised that they did not have in Patrick the ally they assumed they had because they have in other conservatives of a similar stripe. Allies. Well, they have no pun intended. Shot themselves in the foot in the last uh. couple of weeks. I mean, they, they've been, you know, at everybody's the a critic. <laughs> yeah, they've been at the Capitol. They've been, you know, shoving their way into Poncho Navarro's office and you know making people uncomfortable. And there was talk about panic buttons. And there have been you know threats on social media. Uh, so, I know. mean, they came out and said it's time to hunt the Republicans like Patrick after he said that the votes weren't there for open carry. I think they said something on Facebook. The tar- as, we, as we sit here now, it's Wednesday, but I think Tuesday night they said something to the effect of we're going to uh, we're going to Dan Patrick's office mm-hmm. tomorrow, break out the panic button or something. Yeah, like that. right. Get the panic and, and I had this I had, is the Tarrant County sort of pro open right. carry. And votes. I had a very serious Second Amendment former statewide elected official. Who shall remain nameless? Say to me that this could be, in fact, a violation of the penal code; that it could constitute mm-hmm. literally a threat against a public official. Well, Representative Navarez was saying, "Like I have a lot of guns. <laughs> it's not that I'm opposed well, to guns." They're calling him. They're calling yeah. him anti-gun. Right. He's, when in fact he. Oh, he was like, "I love guns." Well, Jerry, Jerry just... Patterson has said. I think he was quoted by Bud Kennedy in the Star Telegram saying that the reason open carry won't pass this session is because of the Tarrant County open carry mm-hmm. advocates who are too unfriendly over, in their tactics. The top. Yeah. Th- th- this should have been a layup. Yeah. And the fact that I mean, this Texas is, in... is one of just a few states that doesn't allow well, this. Well, Massachusetts I mean, has yeah. open carry. Right. Well, Massachusetts right? has lots of things Texas doesn't have. Healthcare? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, what, what else? Uh, a winning baseball team? You know, good seafood. Harvard? Oh. <laughs> uh, I, shall I go on? Um, yeah. look, no, look, the reality of this is that if, this, if this ends up not passing, one of the stories we're going to tell about this session after it's over is – or really one of the questions maybe said better. One of the questions we're going to ask is how in the hell they screw this up? Oh, it's I obvious. Think, I think, open I carry think killed open carry. If, you, if you watch the, if you've watched the guns on campus – uh, fight over the last few years. Although these gun debates can be harder to win for the pro-gun people than you would expect. Right. Although here we, in the case of campus carry, which has not been able to succeed legislatively that over should the last be a couple layup. sessions, this is what you're mm-hmm. say. the Senate has now 19 of 20 Republican senators have authored, co-authored the campus carry bill, which tells me it passes out of committee, it gets to the floor, it passes, and then the st- Senate stands across from the House with its hands on its hips and says, basically, your move. It right? can pass the House. You think it can pass the House? I think well, it can pass the House. I want to know why it hasn't passed previously, then. Is it because of the Senate, specifically? Was it, it would the often, Senate? It would often struggle in the yeah. Senate. So if that's the case, then it passes the House. Of course, and now we don't have the, the, don't have the two-thirds more. rule that's been modified. Right. True. That may have been one of that the issues the previously. But, so yeah. the House was never an issue in this. I don't think the House has traditionally been an issue. I mean, the problem with this, the, with campus carry is that the alliances are strange. Like, you t- generally tend to have the university folks really opposed to this. And you also have a lot of police groups, uh, you know, law enforcement groups opposing it. And so all these guys who have... Are of all political stripes, you know, show up and oppose this. And then you're really left with like a partisan issue in the Capitol that where they either have to turn a blind eye to all these people who oppose it, you know. Well, so. and it also depends. It's always been an issue sort of what committee it ends up being routed through. And uh, speaking of committees, those assignments came out in the Senate. Any surprises for anyone? Craig Estes did not get a chairmanship. Yeah, Patrick didn't exactly say that he didn't get a chairmanship because he didn't vote for the two-thirds rule. But he the sorted, death of the two thirds. Well, he didn't vote against the two thirds rule. Sorted did. When Democrats got committee chairs and Estes didn't, 
after all these conversations. And the first true freshman to get a committee chair since 1993 in Charles Perry. Um, Estes didn't get it. I mean, I, I hardly believe it could be a coincidence that on the one hand, Estes doesn't vote for the end of the two-thirds rule, and then he's the only returning Republican who doesn't get a committee chair. Mm-hmm. Any other surprises? Were you surprised that Kel Seliger kept his higher education? He is the chair? Seattle Seahawks of this session, pulled it out at the last minute, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Because not only were there supposed to be a one committee, the combining of education committees. Well, not supposed to be. I was rumored to, think to be. Of well, Marshawn you know Lynch. what? Rumored. To be, I would say it was even further than rumored to be. I would say that there were nothing people is walking supposed around. to be. Anything. People walking. People were walking around before this. If there's one certainty, it was that the two education committees were going to be combined, and then they were not. Yeah, but earlier and, you said that people didn't have the capacity to understand the Perry indictment. You can't trust people. Generally speaking, yeah. Um, it was a surprise that those committees did not get combined, and it was probably a surprise in the end that Seliger, who was the opponent. Who, who was opposed by many of the people who are now running things sort of ide- for ideological reasons, legitimate or not, that he ended up keeping his committee. That's a pretty big victory. Pulled it out at the last minute. And any other any other big things from the Senate? Have you guys looked at the budget at all? They put out their budget. It uh, includes, what, $4 billion in, for tax relief? Yes. I mean, I think there are whole – it's so – strangely, the Senate's budget actually was bigger than the House budget, which is not a very uh, – not expected – But only if pro- you count the tax relief. Right, if you count the tax House relief. House did not budget for tax relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there have been some – a uh, couple of interesting elements in it. There was a little bit of a flap because uh, Jane Nelson, when she revealed – released the budget, she's the chair of Senate Finance. Um, basically, there were a couple different elements, including the defunding of the Public Integrity Unit, which has made a lot of headlines this year, uh, but also cutting the budget for the Texas Ethics Commission by a third, uh, which she said is temporary, but, you know, those two things combined sort of... And defunding the Racing Commission. And defunding the Racing Commission, which uh, she basically looks like a a veiled threat to them because there's a lot of uh, opposition to these historical racing terminals, which are sort of a form of gambling at these these centers. Um, But, and then back in the Senate budget, there's also yet another semblance of a fight over women's health and Planned Parenthood. Uh, the numbers weren't huge, but basically there's been this restructuring of funding for breast cancer and cervical cancer screenings that would um, almost ensure that Planned Parenthood clinics would no longer receive any of that money to provide those services. And with the Public Integrity Unit, uh, she did not say that it shouldn't exist. She said that she would that they would probably fund it wherever the legislature decides to place it, sort of hinting or just saying strongly like she does not think it should be housed in the Travis County with the Pinkos and the commies that right. have been like referenced Right, like maybe it's earlier. in the AG's office or, right. you know, elsewhere. So all sorts of action. I know. Gosh, too I'll many it. things but, but to talk about. It's, it's a start because the cap is $107 billion. If you take out the tax relief on the Senate side, it's 97.5. The House-based budget, which didn't have tax relief built in, is 98.8. Plenty of room for them to go up to the cap. Patrick said yesterday we're not going to get anywhere near the cap, but they have more room. And so the priorities of the, of the Senate and the House will reveal themselves over time, and we'll see what they end up spending ultimately. But they're austere budgets. The, the Hager revenue estimate was positively giddy at $113 billion. I really think the challenge, Reeve, is going to be for, for the members of the legislature who have told various interest groups, we would, uh, we would spend money on you, but we don't have any. They don't have that argument this time. They have enough money to do many more things than they've been willing to do in the past. If they choose not to do them, it's going to be for reasons of priorities, not for reasons of budget. Well, it looks like Terry's eager to get back out there and write another story. She's got seven more on the docket yeah. for today. 
<laughs> so we'll let Don't you go. fun of me. If you have questions or comments or tips for Terry, email Tribcast. <laughs> I want to make fun of her. At texastribune.org. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. On behalf of Terry, Emily, Evan, and our producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. That's gross, and also it's not a good idea.